Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comp Day, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. I'm really excited about this episode, and all you should be, too. Um, I have a social change giant right next to me. Um, so I have Kareem Abunaga. He is the CEO of pra- Practice Makes Perfect. Um, Kareem is the founder of um, Practice Makes Perfect, a benefit corporation that partners with K-12 through schools to deliver high-quality academic summer programs. He received over a quarter million dollars in scholarships to make his education possible, and Kareem um, founded his organization at the age of 18. So that tells you already enough. (laughs) He is an author and writes for Entrepreneur, Forbes, and LinkedIn. And he is a TED Fellow and Echoing Green Fellow. At 23, he was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 list in education, and at 24, named to Magic Johnson's 32 Under 32 list. In 2016, he was ranked in the top three most powerful young entrepreneurs under 25 in the world by Richtopia, and Kareem is author of most recent release book, Breaking Through from Rough to Ready. And he graduated from Cornell University School of Hotel Administration, and he is currently on to his master's right now in education policy at Columbia University. So, yeah, thank you, Kareem, for joining me today. Of course. I'm excited about what you're doing, and I'm happy to be able to support. No, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, the one thing we do um, with all the episodes, we ask guests if they can, well, they kind of know who you are, but if you can state... um, how you identify culturally and ethnically, and kind of where you're from. Sure. So ethnically, I'm black, Egyptian, and I say culturally Muslim. Uh, born and raised in Queens. My family's from Egypt. Cool, cool. And I want to start by your book, Breaking Through from Rough to Ready. I was not prepared about what I was going to read. <laughs> like, I... I was like, okay, I mean, I saw your stuff um, that you have um, publicly on videos, and then I read your book, and I was like, this is heart-jerking, this is um, impactful, this is tear-jerking, this is, it it really went there, Um, so thank you for putting that out there, and it's a success. I mean, I believe it's a a success, but um, yeah, tell me a bit about what it took to really put that out there. Uh, thank you. I mean, it definitely took courage. Um, it took passing through a lot of people's like advice or pushback who sort of said, don't do it, don't write now. And I felt like so many people wait until they're 50 or 60 to write a memoir. Um, so much of the work that I've done in education has been about this like near peer effect going back while you still have a similar perspective. And you all know this now, as you grow, your views change, your ideas change. And there's something special about thinking the way that I thought I was thinking at that age that helped me achieve the level of success I had in that moment. And I knew that my views and my values and the things I thought about might evolve as I got older, Um, but I didn't want it to disconnect me from what I needed and had in that moment to be successful. And so I wrote the book with a younger audience in mind, um, thinking back to what I wish I knew, not when I was 25 writing the book, but when I was 15 or when I was like, 11 or 12. So I tried to write a book that could be read by someone in middle school that would be applicable to them in their journey all the way through 25, 26. Um, It was an emotional process. Um, I always tell people like, you couldn't pay me a million (laughs) dollars to go back 
to being younger than 18 and relive my childhood. Even though so many people say like, I wish I could relive my childhood again. I, I just would never do it. Um, you couldn't pay me enough money to do it. And writing that book was kind of like reliving that moment, but I felt like so much good could come out of it. Well, thank you for giving the world this gift. Um, originally made through pain, but really creating productivity. And I understand this is one of multiple books that you're working on. Yeah, the second one should be coming out this spring. And then the third that I was writing, so the second one is going to be focused on purpose-driven social entrepreneurship. So what does it look like? The difference between passion and purpose. Um, how do you distill the things that you're interested in and make them something bigger? Um, so it's focused more on that and trying to find the social entrepreneur, the person who's like thinking about starting a new company or changing their life to find work that's a lot more purpose-driven and meaningful and aligned with the things that they care about. Um, and then the third one, I wanted to be focused on education, uh, literally thinking about the opportunities that we're sort of not realizing and I was thinking like playing with a title now of like so far or so close yet so far um, and just talking about like how we have so many of the solutions to the problems that we're trying to fix in education yet we feel like we're miles away from actually solving any of them. Um, I got about a third of the way through and decided I'm going to put it on pause for a little bit. Um, I want I want to learn a little <laughs> bit more and like give a little bit more before I come out with the third one and I think this next year I'll be focused more so on like promoting and getting the second one out there. Okay, I'll be patient. <laughs> um, so a lot of your book, your current book um, that's been released, you name a lot about leadership and legacy. And I wanted to know um, for folks who have not read, if you can kind of define what leadership and legacy mean to you and then kind of mention why both are important, because I do see a lot of folks who are not really intentional about both. So in the leadership like aspect or piece of it, I, I've always had this like servant leadership mindset where you lead from behind, you sort of are the one doing the heavy lifting, you're doing the hard work, um, but you're bringing a group of people together with you on a new journey, on a mission to try and like solve something new or different. Um, and really for me, leadership has been about like corralling and getting people to work with me on trying to eliminate the inequity in education. Um, on the legacy side of it, I remember having a conversation with a mentor and I told him that my biggest fear in life wasn't failure. And it came up because everyone around me was talking about how their biggest fear in life was failing. And I was like, I'm not afraid of failure. Like I'm afraid of dying and not being remembered. And he looked at me and he said, that's what the Jews call a legacy, you schmuck. He's an <laughs> older Jewish guy. And I, I think in that moment, I started thinking more and more about this legacy. Like, what is it the, like, where's the intention that we're living in our lives? And how do we make sure that when we do die, how we're remembered is meaningful? And how do we take that time to do something good with it? Um, and so I remember then taking a few different, like, versions or iterations of it and thinking about my own legacy and wanting to make a positive impact on the world that we sort of have had the privilege and the opportunity to be alive in. I definitely agree. You have left um, strong, positive impacts in the world, especially in your book. You have a ton of principles that I'm trying to now live by. <laughs> and my favorite one was the secret to success is less, not more. And for folks who might not understand what I'm saying, um, the book explained to do maybe two or three things exceptionally versus doing 10 things really mediocre. And... Basically, you're in a world in which practice makes perfect is um, going to keep expanding. 
and you're addressing a $2 billion issue, um, your book publishing deals are going to keep going, your public speaking engagements do not end, and you have a personal life. So how do you apply this method in today? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it sounds like a lot, like I'm doing a lot, but in so many ways, I'm like narrowly focused on just that. Like the scope of everything that you mentioned is the extent of everything that I do. And in some shape or fashion, all of these things are tied together. Um, but it starts with knowing your values. Um, I always tell people like my number one value is making a difference. And that supersedes everything else that I do. Like I make every single decision in my life with the intentionality of figuring out whether or not I'm maximizing or like taking away from this core value of making a difference. Um, then second for me, it's my health. Then it's like my family and my friends, because if you haven't taken care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. Um, they say that time and time again. And then the last piece of it for me is um, paying it forward. So having the bandwidth and the opportunity to give back and like, I guess, reach as you're climbing and help others along the way. But then taking those core values and creating a core set of priorities by which those core values are sort of uh, coming to life or coming to fruition. And in my case, um, PMP is like the core of what I do, this company and like the social enterprise and running this. Um, it's the way by which I make a difference. It's a way by which I pay it forward. It's a way by which I support my family and like get to interact and like build my friendships with people who have values that are aligned with me. And, um, and I make the time in this space to do that, to continue to focus on my health. And then beyond that, there's only like two or three other things that I'm really focused on. Right. So PMP is where I do my writing. That's where I get my lens of perspective from. And I do my public speaking and I wrap all of that into my business. Um, I'm like um, a minor like partner in another like investment fund that's just more of a hobby with three other friends of color that we've been sort of running since my senior year of college. And we'll have a conversation every couple of weeks about it, but nothing too extensive. And then it's just my family. So it sounds like a lot, but <laughs> it really is all like condensed under one umbrella. And it's been a blessing to be able to have it set up in that way. That's wonderful. So I hope a lot of folks can really take that home with them. And you heard it from Kareem. <laughs> Less is better. Yeah, I mean, and I say no a lot more than I say yes to things. And that is also like a, a practice. Um, it takes time to get used to being able to do that. But at the very beginning, I sort of said yes to everything. You get stretched out really thin. And then all of the things that you cared about, you're no longer doing. And the second you start feeling drained or tired, it's because you're doing things that you never thought were the things that you were supposed to be doing in the first place. So I don't think people get tired by the long days, or the long weeks, or the weekend work. I think people get tired when they're doing work that they don't feel is meaningful or isn't the work that they think they should be doing. And so focusing on the things that you're good at, focusing on the things you should be doing, and knowing your values helps do that. You can work endlessly without getting tired. I wish every job I ever worked at followed this method. Um, I promise you, you'll be more productive. <laughs> So your organization is addressing our country's education equity gap, which is a multi-billion dollar issue. What do you envision your legacy to be like, um, let's say in 50, even 80 years from now? What do you hope for that to look like in addressing or regarding this issue? So two-pronged, I think I want to build the next like Pearson or McGraw-Hill or Scholastic that's focused exclusively on urban education. 
So I think we get a lot of like great products and education, a lot of great technology, but it isn't always like met or conducive to supporting the kid in the inner city classroom or the teacher who's working with some of your poorest kids, your first generation kids, um, your kids who are generally not the middle student. Um, so I think there's an opportunity there to align and reframe some of the products and the technologies that come into the space to make sure that they're meeting our kids where they need to be met. Um, and then I think more broadly, I've always like said, um, when I die, I want to be remembered as a successful entrepreneur and an influential politician who affects social change. And on the political side, it doesn't necessarily have to be directly by running for office, but more so like thinking about uh, people who influence politics behind the scenes in so many ways. Okay. So in enveloping that um, more, in your book, you discuss in regards to leadership and legacy, the importance of reputation. So I'm going to ask you that question. What is your reputation out here in these streets? <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on who you ask, but generally the, the thing you'll get from people consistently is transparency. Like I'm incredibly transparent. Uh, sometimes people around me would wish that I was a little bit less transparent. Um, but I think on both sides, I'm consistent. So it like opens up, it engages people in a way that feels authentic and real. Um, one of the biggest things that I learned really early on is like always be transparent. I don't think there is a, such a thing as like being overly transparent. I think if you're ashamed or afraid of something, um, usually you're probably doing something you shouldn't be doing. And I think the sooner you put things out there, the sooner you're honest about them, the less you have to worry about hiding or covering it up or those things like sort of weighing you down. Um, and so I've always erred on the side of like being overly transparent, overly communicative, um, and then just continuing to be consistent with that. Um, I think people appreciate that authenticity and that honesty. So as a successful leader, what would you advise for other um, leaders who would want to be successful? What type of reputation should they exude? I think there's like some few like fundamental like core ones that no one would ever disagree with, but like being someone who ultimately like keeps your word. I think at the core of everything else, like nothing you say matters. No, trans no doesn't matter how transparent you are. Doesn't matter how honest or truthful you are if you never actually like follow through. Right. There's the person who is honest for like why they're late to work. And like, that's great that they were honest about themselves, like oversleeping and whatever it is. But if they took on a job where they're supposed to be somewhere at a certain time and they gave you their word that they were going to be there, no matter how honest or transparent they are, it's not going to make them a better worker or a better person in that situation. So I think at the core of like what you could do is managing your ability to keep your word. And then I think the other things that I mentioned, like the transparency, the honesty, like all of those other things come with it after. But if you are incredibly like reliable, you are honest and you are consistent with the things that uh, you sort of say and people can depend on you and you can depend on other people, it's going to create a different level of like ecosystem for you to be able to elevate your profile and elevate the good that you're able to do in the world. Okay. Thank you. So great leaders are usually supposed to be great learners. What would you say is the best lesson you've learned from a PMP employee or a peer mentor within your program or a student that you serve? So, I mean, I think of, as I think about like lessons, I learned a really big lesson last year. And I know that it came from like a specific employee or a student, but it came from 
I guess like a series of like different experiences. And I wouldn't, I don't know if it's profound because it's so simple or if it's just like really comp, it's not complicated, right? Uh, Gandhi has this like very spiritual and like deep quote where he says like, be the change you wish to see in the world. And I started to realize that the actions and the interactions of other people are largely driven by the way that we act and operate. And so the best way to change a situation or change a circumstance or an environment is to focus on like changing ourselves. We don't necessarily always control the stimulus outside of like how we operate, but people operate and interact with us in response to the things that we do. So I don't know if, if we need an example for it, but... I just think that, you know, if something isn't going the way that you like it to be going, there's something that you can reflect on within yourself that you need to change about how you operate, how you do things day to day that will influence the outcome um, without directly trying to influence the outcome. So empowering agency. It's not so much agency. It's like what you do is what dictates how other people react to you. Okay. So simply put, and like, I think that's what Gandhi was trying to get at. Like, you want to change the world, like, change yourself, right? Focus on the change that you wish to be in the world. So if you expect people to, like, show up to work at 9 and, like, you show up to work at 10 all the time and no one shows up to work at 9. Now, if you start showing up to work at 8.30, like, people will start being at work <laughs> at 9, right? So if you want to change the situation, the environment, like, you take a direct, like, action that changes how you operate or do things. Um, and that will have an influence or an impact on, like, how other people operate. So, and then live what you ultimately like want to see. That's true. That's some hard work though. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's not, it's not always like one-to-one, -one, right? It's not always like, oh, I show up early. Now other people are going to show up early either. But the other thing you could do is always like self-assess and say today, here's how I did everything. And here's how things turned out. And here's how everyone responded and reacted to me. If I want to change something, I don't know what that something is yet, but if I want to change something about today, maybe make it better or worse, let me try doing something differently tomorrow. And then reevaluating and saying, did things get better? Did they get worse? And if they got better, clearly you did something that was moving in the right direction. If they got worse, now you go, don't change or mess with that piece of it. Let me go back to what I was doing before and then try and change something else. Um, and ultimately like experimenting on like a daily basis until you get to a place where you're comfortable and happy with the way things are coming out. Okay, I'm going to try to follow that myself. Yeah. Um, I'm not a super prompt person, but and I also, like, I try to take responsibility, but I'm going to work on it some more. Um, I feel inspired. <laughs> um, so you are the boss, and you also kind of a little bit larger than life sometimes. Like, you're, you know, you're in pu publications, you are speaking publicly, you are really are one of the leading faces of fighting for equitable education, specifically for a vulnerable population. So how do you stay relatable to those you serve, for the people that work under you? It's I think you're relatable. I read your book and then the way you exude and your energy. But how do you do it um, day to day, like for the people who interact with you all the time? Like, I think some folks have a hard time being relatable. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm alive, right? Like... <laughs> I'm a real person in so many ways. It's only, I, I think you have to almost try in some ways to, to not be authentic, not be relatable, not connect, um, or just do things that are like very far removed from what people see. Um, I think I live 10 blocks away from my mom. I'm one of seven. 
right? Like I'm still involved in my own like siblings' education. Um, but I think even going beyond that, like I invest my time and I put my effort in the things that I care about. And I care about like equity in like low income public schools. And so I spend the majority of my time in the schools that we partner with. Um, if it's shadowing a principal, if it's volunteering for a day, if it's recruiting the staff that's working with us, like I'm involved in the day-to-day of what we do. And I think that is the best way to continue to stay connected um, and be reminded like why you're doing what you're doing. And inevitably over time, your perspective and things are going to change. But I think if you understand why you're doing it and you're doing it for all the right reasons from the very beginning, it'll always be a part of your identity. Um, I spoke a lot about this in the TED Talk, but um, my like moment when I was doing this work sort of came to me my senior year when I was looking at all the people who are trying to change education and trying to change like low income public schools who had never been to these low income public schools. And so it's not so much that I'm like that much more relatable. I almost think that just the people that were used to trying to come in and like change the space just aren't actually like connected to the work that they're trying to fix or do. Um, and Jeffrey Canada was one of the people I spoke to really early on in my journey. He founded the Harlem Children's Zone. And I, I remember he like almost refused to meet with me. It was like his assistant ultimately, not his assistant, the COO at the time, Ann Williams Eason, who like made the introduction and like continued to push for me to get on his calendar. But he's like, I hate meeting with people who are like trying to change education in their first couple of years because most people don't last. Right? Like the work is taxing. It's difficult. Progress is slow. You're dealing with bureaucracy. There's all of these reasons in the process for you to stop or quit. Um, no matter how much you thought you cared about it. And very few people like are there for the right reason and are able to like muster the will and the strength to push beyond all that stuff because of the good that they're able to see and realize. So, so much of, I guess, that conversation at the time I didn't understand. And today, obviously, I'm going on in my ninth year of like doing this work. I get it. I understand why. And if I was him, I probably wouldn't have taken the chance, but I'm grateful he did make the time, you know, back then. And, and I'm still here and I, I've committed my life to this work and it's not something that I take for granted or say lightly. Persistence is key, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Kareem got a meeting with Jeffrey Canada. That is not easy. <laughs> if you're in the nonprofit or education world, you know that it's impossible. Well, today might have been easier for me, but like, <laughs> I guess five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that is some work. <laughs> <laughs> so... I do have bonus questions. Um, I like to give my guests a little bit of um, unpredictability. So when working with humans, as much as I love humans, the part I don't like about humans, which is natural, is conflict. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has to manage humans, how do you confront conflict? I think that's like a better question to ask the people that I've actually had conflict with because I, you know, I can tell you what I think I do. I always think like I'm always transparent. I'm always honest. And I think my coworkers appreciate this about me too. Like if something bothers me, like I say that up front, I put it out there right away. And when we talk through it, I think my partner will say the same thing. I like don't go to sleep until we've talked it out or we've gotten to the bottom of it. I appreciate the communication. I thrive in discomfort. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It feels weird sometimes, but they say you need to embrace the discomfort. I think it's the same thing with conflict, right? Like tackle it head on. Let's talk about it. Let's get through it. You need to decide at the end of the day, like how valuable the relationships are to you. And then that'll dictate how much time and energy you're willing to put into resolving the conflict. But there isn't a conflict that you can't resolve. I believe that. I believe that so much. Yeah. And then my final question for you 
is, and I'm sure you've received this question before, but what would Kareem today tell 18-year-old Kareem at Cornell, who is starting Practice Practice Makes Perfect, what would you tell him? Um, Like, what do you think he needed to hear from you today? Oh, I mean, I wish there was just like one more person encouraging me at that time (laughs) instead of taking away from it. Um, one of the things I like know today that I didn't know back then was that if you're hardworking and you're smart, like jobs will be out there for you and they will be a dime a dozen. Um, one of the biggest things I was most afraid about was everyone was telling me that if I turned down my offers and this thing didn't go well, like there wouldn't be any other jobs or anything like that for me now, I sort of had to take the opportunities now or they would disappear. And I was really uncomfortable about that. I felt like I had worked hard, I had earned these opportunities, and now that I wasn't going to take them, they would disappear altogether, and that was complete BS, man. I had job offers like well through my first like two years out of school, even though I was working on my organization full-time, and I was able to respectfully decline, and I started to realize that there are a lot of people who are always looking for jobs and opportunities, but that pool of people who are smart, working, who are smart, who are hardworking, who are reliable, who are going to get the job done no matter what, like at any expense, they're going to figure out a way to do it, um, that pool of people is limited, and when people know that you're in that bucket, there, there will always be a job or an opportunity out there for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so um, just to let folks know, you can find Breaking Through from Rough to Ready. Um, I found it on Amazon. but It's on Amazon. <laughs> um, please um, support a brother. Please um, get the book. It really will change your life. I read it in a week, and I'm not a fast reader. So um, it really is enjoyable. It is a good teachable moment. And... I would recommend it to anyone. But I want to say thank you, Kareem, for your time today. And thank you for having this moment with me. Absolutely. And I appreciate you taking the time to like bring some more light to it. Um, ultimately, I think the the most valuable thing you can do is like buy the book once and pass it down. I think there's a lot of people who can benefit from reading this story, but also getting that ethos of paying it forward. Um, I had a mentor who... Uh, during one of the nonprofit programs I was a part of, I went to and I was just like, thank you so much. If there's anything I can do to like help you out, uh, please let me know. And he looked at me and smiled and said, there's nothing you can do for me. At the time, I was just like poor inner city high school kid. But he's like, you can pay it forward. Um, and so you can't pay it back, but you can pay it forward. And I hope that people will do that if they find value in it. Well, that's right. Pay it forward, everyone. Thank you. And um, we're going to clock out.